I spent first five years of my career in Dubai working across performance agencies. For sell through, the idea is that firstly we are we are positioning ourselves to be the region's first client side agency. UAE is more mature when it comes to digital as compared to Saudi, and Saudi, as we all know, is the next big thing in terms of transformation. This is because it started off in this journey sooner. There is a larger talent pool available. People who have let's say come from different parts of the world to now bring slightly advanced practices. What's your lens on why is this uh, the way? Saudi is such an interesting market where you would get like you know some business reaches out and you're like okay sure let me Google this business what do they do you will find a website which is half baked there is no alignment of UI UX checkout process is very cumbersome and then you go check they have like 800 stores you're like but what's going on right. We Indians take great pride in the Nidhanas we run. The problem of these all at scale, the methods we employ to accomplish all of this, whether as customers, partners, vendors, or even as middlemen facilitating these businesses and aiding their growth, we play a significant role. One such individual is Ankit Bansal, who runs a digital marketing agency called Sellthrough out of Dubai. They are the pioneers in the region, bridging the gap between the understanding of customers and partners for their CRM, marketing automation, and SEO needs. Ankit shares a wealth of insights on the markets in the MA region, whether discussing their maturity when they're going through digital transformation. The shift to apps from websites or the adoption of martech. We cover it all. This is episode thirty-nine of the State of Retention Marketing podcast. I am Ankur Gattani, your host. Tune in, but before that, hit that follow button so you never miss an episode from us. Thank you so much for doing this with us, Ankit. Thank you, Ankur, for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Super cool. So, Ankit, just straight off the bat, tell us a little bit about your journey, how you ended up where you did, because I, I know there are a bunch of interesting uh, bits there. Cool. Uh, so for me, like I started off on the agency side. I was before moving to Dubai almost ten years ago. I was working for Accenture in Hyderabad, and uh, fortunately, like I was part of a team um, in Accenture who was managing a product from Google called Double Click Search. And uh, at the time, ten years ago, there was a lack of talent of people who in the region who had experience of Double Click Search as a product. that fortunately gave me the opportunity to move to dubai and uh, i spent first 5 years of my career in dubai working across performance agencies so got the chance to work on emirates airlines global paid search account which was a great experience it was an exclusive uh, contract with the agency so huge account then i moved on to landmark ecom a great omni channel plus social experience and then i decided to move to the client side where i worked for a startup uh, pre covid a luxury fashion marketplace called the list and got exposed to a very interesting kind of business model something similar to what parpech does and then i moved in my last role at six street which is a fast moving fashion marketplace in the region serving across six countries and then for me it's a full circle back to agency life where recently i've moved full time into the agency sellthrough i'm a co-founder and uh, i'm excited trying to form the region's first client side agency super cool so what's very interesting is uh, the switches between the worlds from the first agency side then to the clients and back to the agency what's the fundamental thesis why you thought this is it's a great idea to be doing this it's a great opportunity is that where it's coming from uh well i've always been uh, super involved in all different um, roles i've had in different companies where i've been always been involved operationally Uh, and i've always thought as a leader it's important that when you're giving an advice to right from an intern to a manager to whoever you who's reporting it to you 
the advice should only be legit if you can do the same thing yourself right like if you can just advise but you don't know how to do this there's no point so that uh, that always kept me humble in the way of like managing performance managing crm managing seo where i could hold that level of conversations with the team right so uh, and that's what an agency is about in the true sense where you're not giving advice you can actually go out and execute execute your advice right so for me um, moving that circle from agency and to client side was more of a factor of understanding the business side of things understanding as a marketing leader not just marketing but how marketing works with different functions within a business uh, how does it work with merchandising how does it work with sub- the customer success team the last mile team the delivery the operations all of that right and then steering marketing as a function based on the state of the business you are in so for my for, for me my role is um, in the start of the list was very performance heavy even though i was managing the entire digital but being a startup it was more focused towards performance but in 6th street we started off with performance but then crm took the main driving seat for the last 2 years of my role right so that exposure was something which um, i kind of realized that uh, firstly there is such knowledge is a big like there's a big op- gap in the market in the agency ecosystem in that knowledge base and the agencies that i worked with in my client side role most of them were very there was a genuine lack of customer centricity in those conversations right so that kind of gave me that uh, like leap of faith or gave me that in my mind that extra advantage of like let me go do this there is genuinely a gap and i think i can i have the right skill set to fulfill this so having been a marketer just makes you a more empathetic and a more effective agency would that be a fair statement to make uh well in some of the services yes because from a performance perspective it's still a very saturated market but from a crm perspective uh, i would say it's a developing market in some sense and uh, the maturity is relatively low so in that sense like being uh, like focusing on crm for the as a first mover in the region is definitely going to have its advantage so is that where you say seltro will differentiate itself as being in being one of the early players in the whole martech and crm consulting and you're doing the full stack servicing right so just help us understand the whole offering a little better what is the scope of uh, work that you pick up on this world uh for seltro the idea is that firstly we are we are positioning ourselves to be the region's first client side agency and when i say client side agency what i mean is half of my team more than half of the team actually comes from client side backgrounds so there is an inbuilt knowledge business knowledge that the guys bring to the table right second thing is like when you come from client backgrounds you're able to look at uh, the client's marketing as a function rather than performance or crm or seo individually as a function right so in terms of your question regarding the services so we usually offer the main core services are performance crm marketing automation and then seo Right, and then we have a fourth layer, which is data and implementation or data infrastructure, which kind of enables the first three layers. Because uh, again, right, like you you work with Web Engage, you know, when clients onboard your technology, implementation is the first big barrier that they want to cross, and right, getting the right implementation is usually not an easy task, right? When you're especially in the spaces of seed uh, customer engagement platforms, where you need like for app. maybe 200 set of events flowing in each event has certain like 5 to 7 attributes coming in then you have web then you have multi channels being integrated into the customer engagement platforms 
So that fourth service, which I spoke about, it like we are one of the certified partners with WebEngage for campaign management and integration. Because I know like uh, without this implementation as an infrastructure, you can't really execute the campaigns in the future, right? So this needs to be nailed down. So these are the main four services that we operate in today. Fair enough. You know, so just uh, because you have the client-side experience and you've also brought in a whole bunch of people from that ecosystem, uh, do you see any clear difference in terms of how typical agencies structure their organization in terms of talent vis-a-vis how client organizations do it? And what is your lens on how you married these two insights to build your org design? Um, for me, talent is like, even when I was hiring before in my previous roles and now, for me, talent is always about like two things. It's like go hire for experience and go hire for attitude, right? Because you cannot replace experience. You cannot replace attitude. Sure. And um, for me, it's always going to be like that. From a structured perspective, fortunately, uh, I've had the experience of working with big traditional agencies. Then I've had the experience of working with performance agencies. And now sure. I'm trying to build something new through client-side mm-hmm. agency, right? So I know traditional agencies, you would see like still operate in silos where there is a media planner, there is a separate execution guy, there is a separate data reporting guy, and then there is a key account manager client facing, right? In that space, nobody really knows what's going on 360. And for the client, like, especially now with everybody moving towards that performance lens, there is an urge of knowing what's going on now rather Mm -hmm. than somebody reaching out to someone and then someone out reaching out back to you with half-baked answers, right? Sure. So we, we got away with that structure in the first place. Uh, Now, if you look at traditional performance marketing agencies, Mm. they are focused pretty much on just having either it's divided by search and social. You have search specialist, you have social specialist, or you have like a performance marketer who can manage search and social. For us, the different thing that we're trying to build is like, uh, as we say, we are a client side agency. So we are structured like one. Okay. Uh, And... Like normally, if you look at any big business, they would have their performance team, they would have a CRM team, they would have an SEO team who then work in conjunction with each other. And this is the structure we internally have. And uh, what what one thing which differentiates us is like for us as part of the KPI of the team, uh, the growth in the company is linked to the complementary services that you learn. Right. So if you go up from account manager to senior account manager to account director, you need to be learning at least one complimentary, right? So if you're a performance guy, you need to know of CRM. If you're a CRM guy, you need to know SU. You can choose and pick, but mm-hmm. complimentary knowledge is mandatory. Sure. Yeah, but that should kind of create a degree of, uh, let's say, choice between width versus depth because, you know, all of these things have their own learning curve, a certain level of depth you can achieve. But if you were to step into the next, uh, let's say, peripheral area or the next allied area or the next complimentary subject, as you put it, uh, you will end up drawing a line somewhere on the depth that you're achieving in one. So how do you balance these two things that, okay, now it's time for me to step out of performance and look at CRM, Well, I probably only covered 50% of what performance has to offer? Uh, good question. So um, like we're still young, right? So that's something to keep in mind. Like we haven't really um, explored the entire spectrum of sure. what, what the vision is. So mm-hmm. it's something which is still in practice. But I think in a nutshell, you get a sense of working with people on a day-to-day basis Performance only goes to a point. Nobody can be 100% at everything that they do. But if you are really good at performance, 85 or 87 or 90% doesn't make a difference, right? It's the gist of your conversation and the confidence you have in your accounts. Sure. And I feel that's when you are able to kind of 
decide for the person to get into the next stage and i think mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. also as a startup one of the philosophies that we have is like it should be 80% data and 20% gut right so you can't really have mix of both and sure. uh, like being fast paced is actually more important to us getting the timing right then be like 100% sure about almost every decision we make I mean, that's kind of life right you're dealing with uncertainties all the time if you take too long to decide probably the apostrophe is already gone awesome so i think that's a very classic existential Correct. career thing as well right where people need to i mean there's a term called t-shaped market where you really go deep into something and then you have let's say 80% depth on performance but 20% depth also on a few other things that you need to do because when you're sitting on top of a team which is managing those things and you might not always know the exact specifics of the subject but uh, you're still in a position to judge whether someone's taking you for a ride and that i think can be for enough sure, exactly. to you know be the leader there because uh, at least you're not somebody who can be misled right in some sense so you know now tell me something about the soul ecosystem you're operating in uh, there is a certain level of maturity that's there and that's evolving pretty quickly as well the talent supply uh, in the ecosystem is still in early days as far as the depth and concern across especially the subjects like marketing and crm this is the core subject of our attention you know that's a classic state of retention marketing right what is your impression of the maturity of uh, the different markets you operate in and you can pick up one whichever is your favorite and we we'll probably go a little bit into each of these geographies sure uh for sure uae is more mature when it comes to digital as compared to saudi and saudi as we all know is the next big thing in terms of transformation sure um and one thing probably couple of insights which would be interesting for the viewers would be like uae or like middle east generally is a very app heavy market right mm-hmm. so unless unlike the west or unlike like eastern markets where web experiences are actually almost as good as the app experiences and web usually has 40 50% of the business share mm-hmm. it's unlike that in the region where most of the businesses even if you look at the most mature digital businesses like landmark like almost a 11 billion dollar conglomerate in the region right they or if you look at a small business which is doing mm-hmm. about half of it or one fourth of it you would see a common denominator which is app right if a business has an app their contribution for revenue sitting at 80 85% and this contribution even looks higher in saudi if you were to look only in saudi arabia mm, it goes up mm. to 90% right so uh, that's an interesting thing for a marketer because right from performance to crm the channels that you're using the communication that is going out the way the product teams are structured everything changes by being app first right sure so that's one like interesting insight um, mm-hmm. and i think it's just evolving con- continuously yeah. evolving in the last 4 5 regions yeah 4 5 years sure And in terms of uh, the whole maturity on CRM practices, you said UAE is more mature. Is this because it started off in this journey sooner? There is a larger talent pool available. People who have let's say come from different parts of the world to now bring slightly advanced practices. What's your lens on why is this uh, the way it is? Uh, well, I think you said it correctly because firstly, like the population percentage, if you look at the split, ninety percent are expats, ten percent oh. are locals. and um, within that you would have a lot of expats coming in from india india mm-hmm. is the number one um, expat population followed by uk and other like european plus south asian countries so these are digitally mature markets so uh, as compared to mm-hmm. uae right so when this talent pool comes in they bring their own set of like experience tooling and hence like from a maturity perspective uae has been uae has been able to kind of you know become a lot more mature in like in a in a faster way as compared to saudi 
And sure. Saudi is undergoing that wave at the moment. You know, so if I were to put the state of retention maturity uh, in terms of just the people's practices which they're able to take live in their product experiences and consumer journeys, if India were to be on a scale of 1 to 10, at, let's say 10, just to kind of index the benchmarking, uh, where would you rate some of these markets from uh, the Middle East region? Uh, I would say UA is probably a 6, uh, going into 7 soon. Saudi would be like around 3, 3 to 4. Uh, and- and I think the other countries are pretty much in the same range in GCC, in Saudi? the Saudi range. In the Saudi range. So would yeah. that mean a certain level yeah. of opportunity for Celsius to actually pay greater attention to these markets where uh, the whole evolution is yet to happen and you can help accelerate that? Uh, exactly, right. So, Uncle, what um, I'm doubling down on is like, for me, uh, offering CRM and having that early mover advantage means working very closely with partners like WebEngage, sure. uh, having a very strong relationship, and then collectively foreseeing the challenges that the customers will face in the next 12 months in the mm-hmm. regions like Saudi and other developing areas and catering them with like products or services or solutions that uh, you foresee, right? So, for example, um, one good example would be Saudi is such an interesting market where you would get like, uh, you know, some business reaches out and you're like, okay, sure, let me Google this business. What do they do? You will find a website which is half-baked. Uh, there is no alignment of UI, UX, checkout process is very uh, cumbersome. And then you go check, they have like 800 stores. Like, but what's going on, right? Like their website is sure. not functioning correctly, but they have 800 stores, right? So with 800 stores, you can imagine the data that they are sitting on, the footfall that's coming in, the number yeah. of offline yeah. customers. They must be operating for the last 10, 15 years, right? Mm. So in that sense, like uh, now if you change this problem statement into the potential opportunity, both for you guys and for us, where these guys, they want to go through the digital transformation. They sure. they want to use their first-party data. Mm-hmm. They want to create omni-channel experiences. They want their customers offline to move online and have an app and you know start making purchases online or omni-channel to increase the purchase frequency of the business and so on. But they don't know how. Right. So but these, these, these people, questions are already there. The awareness for the category that the fact that they need it and this kind of business impact will come and they're prepared to make that commercial investment because it's not just about one time getting a software and buying it. Right. There's also this entire uh, technology piece that has to come together, the entire data that has to get unified. So from that, uh, let's say acceptance and maturity of the demand itself, the ask itself. Is that something you see very aggressively shaping that they're asking on the right questions? And now it's a matter of time where the answers will also come in and evolve. Uh, correct. So I, I've seen like most of the businesses that we get through reference or our own network, they're mm-hmm. speaking the right language, they're asking the right questions. So they're asking like, we need omni-channel marketing solution. That's a sure. good question to ask. At least mm-hmm. it's in the room. Then they are like, we are sitting on 2 million email addresses. What do we do about this? How do we get these people to download the app, right? Sure. So the questions are coming in the right direction. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, also because of a lot of like... Uh, like the transformation, foreign direct investments coming in, the sports media industry picking it up, picking it up. The physical infrastructure and the digital infrastructure has no other option than to be transformed at the same pace. Sure. Right. Which means the people who are involved in the process, like if a shop owner who never had any digital presence, if a person comes in and is like, do you give your first time discount on your app? 
then it just triggers that thought process sure. right immediately so i think that's what what is going on and obviously we want to double down on our efforts in saudi you know so one of the things we've seen happen in india is the ux expectation of a consumer is substantially benchmark against global experiences you know the netflix and the amazons end up having a certain level of ux a certain level of user journey such level of personalization and that sets the bar for an indian consumer to expect the same from any other app that he interacts with what's your lens on consumer expectation in saudi and that might just create a differentiation play because a brand which is very responsive to consumer needs versus a brand which is not so responsive to consumer needs obviously the winning path will be with the first one so is this also a strong pull in favor of uh, digital transformation like you just said somebody wants a first time discount on the app uh, what would they uh, i mean is that a pull uh, it is i think uh, other thing is because of this fta right lot of um foreign talent venture mm-hmm. capitalist venture funds are being set up right what that leads to is the benchmarking against the global players right if right. a business is set up was looking to raise investments the investor mm-hmm. will come and say like who are you aspiring to be sure. what is the problem you are solving right mm-hmm. when you say a name out like we are aspiring to be the paytm of the region or sure. like the netflix of the region or shopify of the region Mm-hmm. you already are giving a benchmark which you are like which you expect the customer to benchmark you against mm-hmm. so in that sense like i think businesses uh, we are seeing a lot of growth for like couple of my friends in my network they have ui ux agencies sure and they can't keep up with the demand of course yeah right so that's just like goes back to your question of like are businesses only focusing on just putting a website out there or or they are focusing on putting a website which caters and is thought through from a ui ux perspective to give a great customer experience on site and on the app so from a conviction which is then linked to the commitment and investment appetite to make all of these things happen right because some of these things are very hard to do in a very legacy first organization which is still less than convinced about the impact of digital right i mean people uh, organizationally the way traditional organizations are built they could create a department or a set of people or hire somebody from outside or just give somebody a charter to run the whole digital first kind of practice what's the pattern you're seeing what how do enterprises let's say somebody who's got 800 offline stores when he's setting up his first digital platform is he giving the entire thing to an agency guys go build it for me i have the money but i don't know how to do this or will he hire some people uh, who will have probably relevant experience so how is this shaping up are there patterns to see uh, Uh, it's it's a mix of both right sure. there is no definitive answer to that like uh what we've seen is like it, it's about like the traditional omni traditional retailers they, they don't have the additional knowledge themselves right so for for me going out and hiring a ca or a finance guy when i'm a digital person it just doesn't make sense right so the same thing with there like what we have seen is they end up hiring people in certain roles but they don't they're not really sure if i've hired for performance or if i've hired for entire digital and what does it even mean the sure. difference between the two right so agencies consultants like the big consulting firms all of them then they start to fill up the gaps mm-hmm. uh, in knowledge and resources and players like yourself and other competitors in the same space events that are happening the awareness that is being created all of that like small small things are adding up where Uh, going back to my previous point the right questions are being asked mm. right so if the right questions are being asked then it trickles down from there where you start thinking like if i'm speaking about omni channel there is performance there is crm there is 
marketing automation there is nps there is so many different things sure now let me see if i have the talent for one two three or somebody can do two of this somebody can do one of them right sure so then it becomes easy for the businesses to take a decision like i got this two like people in my team who can deliver on xyz mm. sections mm. of the business but for others i need to for short term get someone externally right so i feel like it's uh uh it's a good problem to have for businesses as long as it's headed in the right direction you know what what we've seen happen uh, and there's a lot of very large organizations in india which are going through a journey of digital transformation some of these efforts are very committed with conviction that you know i'm going to put one's very very uh, serious and well invested kind at the top with a decent run of budget and i'll allow him to build a bit of a disjoint organization because the legacy mindset is the first blocker because every uh, increment investment you need to make if it has to justify roi and answer all those questions very very frequently the way traditional business people are supposed to think it slows you down and in a lot of times it's also a recipe of failure so we've seen very wholehearted efforts which are let's say the adani group that we work with or let's say the angel broking group which have traditional companies but have transformed their little uh, mechanism very aggressively by pretty much putting like a thousand people team as a dedicated unit which is not intersecting on an everyday basis with the main organization it's actually a different city a different corporate office a different uh, leader that's running that piece so in the and what we've seen also happen on the other side is slightly half hearted slash mixed attempts where you'll carve out a set of people who were otherwise traditional but are now wearing the digital hat and they're trying to do something it's not their fault uh, but the fact is that this becomes much harder to do within the context of larger organization so in this a set of uh, choices that are being made in the region you see some people now like okay i need to do this i'm convinced at the top level i'm going to put 5 million dollars i'm going to get this guy at the top and he'll run the show for me is that the level of conviction and commitment you see happening in some examples uh, for sure i think some of the big groups they've mm-hmm. started having like transformation teams you would be interestingly seeing on linkedin roles which are digital transformation consultant digital transformation manager and so on um and uh, the central team which then overlooks transformation independently and reports directly into the management we're seeing more and more of that coming up in the bigger groups as you're saying mm-hmm. and i think it's also a factor of like uh, at some point the business owners they need to start trusting other people uh especially in the mm-hmm. in the domains where they don't have knowledge themselves right sure uh, it's a very like it's a chicken and egg problem uh, in the region where traditionally retail it's a small small dubai or uae is a small country right sure. so what do people do people go out in the malls and it's always been the case right like mm. e-commerce just picked up in the last few years yeah. but traditionally retail malls etc have been the bread and butter right yeah. and if you think from a retail perspective there is just so much you can do from a vm perspective oh, absolutely you you at a high level know that this mall will attract these many people this is an average footfall these many people will walk into my store either i make profit or i make loss but this is the range sure for you decision making is a lot more quicker mm. if it doesn't work out in 6 months you can shut down move to a different store and you know what to expect sure right so but when these people who are used to this ecosystem which we spoke about for right. too long mm. they've been doing this for 10 15 20 years they go into ecom they start losing money in the first year sure when you start explaining them like you know is the cost of acquiring a customer and then over a period of one year if he purchases three four times with you then you're going to make start making profit and blah 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 right it becomes a sometimes honestly it alien sounds language, like a just, right? alien language and sounds like a justification for your like underperformance in a way yep 
so that level of maturity is now picking up where mm. people have realized like digital cannot be or e-com cannot be profitable day one sure. if you're running e-com you have to think of one extra incremental source of income which will turn profitable over a period of time mm. that mm. requires maturity that requires upfront investment right mm. so going yeah i think on your question like now we are seeing more and more of groups uh, mm-hmm. like the retail heavy groups like like soft landmark like soft yeah. alfutem altair alshaya and so on building that central transformation teams to take the entire group through that transformation journeys so to me that's also interesting from a lens since you mentioned these are smaller geographies right the target audience you have is finite which means that attention span is also going to be so much the dollar value uh the fight for that dollar the share of market will also remain an ongoing one and the ones who drive a certain level of repeat and engagement are taking that away from somebody else right for sure i think it's a very valid question which i think after a certain period of operating business in the region you start like asking like what's going on right like why is the drop purchase frequency etc coming coming down mm-hmm. especially with continuous um like international players continuously entering the market it's just bec- it's just becoming more and more difficult for the local players so i, I think my main um, like thought process around this has always been where uh, i've told my previous bosses that stop treating retention as a marketing problem and start treating retention as a business problem right because um, no matter if you have the right tooling in place Mm-hmm. if you have the right segmentation right channel mix etc if you have crm nailed down basically right, right. still your business can keep going down your repeat mm-hmm. can keep going down right and going back into the customer experience if first time you made a purchase and the wrong item got delivered or the item had an issue and the refund took longer than expected and the person had to call the support team three four times to wait for 30 minutes and so on Yeah. there is no kind of communication from a marketing sense which can build up or make up for that experience sure. right absolutely so um, it's important like right from day one you're looking at the entire funnel you have mm. your crm setup you have your nps setup which is consistently collecting the customer feedback across different parts of the funnel whether it's a post purchase nps whether it's a post refund post delivery etc and you feed that information into the relevant departments within the company right so that loop needs to be completed from day 1 you can't rush into thinking that marketing is the growth lever let me go and then retention is a or crm is After a retention time. lever let me go towards that and then mm. you come up come to the third piece right so i think businesses who have uh, looked at the entire experience from a to z have generally seen a better retention and um, uh it, it's it's not a it's it, it is a discount driven market but at the same time convenient pe- people usually are okay in paying extra for convenience sure. which means like if you good give a good experience they're going to keep coming back mm. right so that's what like the companies in the region should strive for so in some sense uh, the whole full stack ownership of retention is not just with the marketer who's running campaigns it's also with the rest of the organization from a servicing lens from a support lens from a product ex- experience lens from a catalog lens uh, do you see this manifesting in terms of uh, just having the seat on the table for the chief retention officer you know it's a, it's a conversation we ask uh, it's a question we ask here and there once in a while because it rolls up to the cmo invariably cmo has the acquisition team and the retention team and they both look at life in marketing world uh this guy does not necessarily have 
uh, the, the ability to poke a finger at catalog or category or services or operations that you guys are messing up retention. And this is what you need to solve for. So at an organization level, unless it gets driven a little bit top down, it doesn't become effective. And that's what I was trying to understand that have you seen success versus failure being determined by these kind of uh, attention spans? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, usually retention is now being treated as an independent function where it's not like a product ownership or a customer support ownership. It's just like a separate, as I said, like it's a separate, Mm -hmm. you know, just like we discussed the transformation piece, which was more of a central function. Sure. Here it's not really central. It's still within marketing, but it has the ability and flexibility to go and look at different areas within the business outside of marketing and pinpoint, as you said, that your, you know, waiting time on support is this or like 30% of the customers who gave me an NPS post delivery are not happy giving me a three rating or a detractor, right? And there is the reason for this. So it's just becoming more and more of a norm where uh, people have, especially post COVID when the investment scene has dried up, a profitability all of a sudden has become the number number mm-hmm. one KPI, sustainable profit, sustainable profitability, right? So in that sense, like uh, retention is just bigger than ever. And obviously the CEOs, the CMOs, all of them are treating this uh, as a top priority at the moment. You know, a very fun, simple question. I know from a, let's say beauty products company out of India, a fairly large one there. They had a situation where one of the new products had launched and had a large amount of inventory for had a terrible NPS. Now, option A, continue shipping. Option B, throw all of that inventory away because it's terrible in place. Is, 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 and this is a retention question, right? But it's a retention question which has implications for other departments and places to solve for. Do you think something similar is possible to happen that these kind of questions will come up and the lipstick will get thrown away? Uh, very, very interesting. <laughs> so uh, when you say NPS is bad, do you mean like the People hate the quality? product. The people, people hate, hate the product. product. They don't repeat any further. Uh... I mean, use it as a giveaway, man, if you want to. Like, <laughs> but that still hurts the you, brand, right? Because the, for a lot of brands, and I've seen this as experiences, people who try to, let's say, get rid of inventory by giving it to potential customers. And if it's a terrible experience, you're probably worse off. Especially in the skincare category, right? Like it's very sensitive. If a product has some sort of energy or something else, I'd rather burn the inventory, right? Like then scaling out because the virality or the the potential of bad negative reviews going viral is always going to be higher than the good ones right so as a business so i don't the think review lens that sure the, the part i would love to double click on is that the retention market is flagging that i've got terrible reviews or reports on this does he have the seat on the table to be able to ask the catalog team to get rid of this inventory by burning it and not uh trying to sell this or liquidate it to existing customers right because what tends uh, to happen is uh yeah. this is a simple acquisition led play you will always have more customers buying this for the first time. So you have no idea really because you see the sales ramping up. It's a new product. You have discounts running. So you have a lot of sales happening. So month on month, you see that this number is growing. I'm selling more of this lipstick. So it must be doing well and I should order more. On the other side, you just don't necessarily pay attention to the stat. This is actually not working out because the people who are buying this are not repeating. So that's where the retention guy comes in and says, hey guys, while of course you see growth, but this is all bad growth because these guys are not coming back. So that's where I'm just trying to understand that organizationally and from an authority and power positions, because we've seen some of these failure points is because the retention guy reports to the CMO, who's 90% experience in stories acquisition. And now suddenly he's like, okay, I need attention on the subject, but he's not able to get. Uh, it's a data problem, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's um, like if that leads to a 5% less retention over a period of one year, what would that transform into Huge value, right? right? 
So if that value is big enough, then um, it's like, you know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon says that you need to build a culture where the smallest employee in the company or the youngest employee in the company should have the ability to override the CEO himself if he has more data, right? So I think, yeah, yeah, that's the, like, nobody can question data, right? So I've seen this personally when I've been in meetings with the chairman of like groups that I worked Mm -hmm. for. If you go prepared with data, usually they will listen to you. And usually they will. So that's the approach. I think, uh, as you said, like acquisition, CMO's role is overall at acquisition as well as overall retention, right? So breaking your top line, there is just so much acquisition. Let's say 50% of the business comes through new customers and 50% Mm -hmm. comes through retention. That's over a period of one year. So you can't really look at like short term and be like for the next two months, my acquisition is high, but for the remainder of eight months or 10 months, my retention is going to be 10% down, right? So that's a data problem. And I think if you approach it from that perspective, uh, you will objectify the problem and uh, you'll get the answer that you need. And you'll hopefully uh, get the stakeholders to align with the goals. You know, coming back to this whole agency pitch and uh, the promise of MarTech and the ROI impact of MarTech to the customer, people are making decent-sized investments here. They are faced with a bunch of choices. What's your lens on how should somebody, let's say, plan their MarTech evolution? Because what tends to happen a lot of times is they have these long feature checklists and they'll tick, 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 tick those 20 boxes. They initially choose something. A year and a half later, they're only using 20% of all the boxes they've checked any which ways. So what's been your, let's say, impression of how people are choosing it the right way or the wrong way as far as their technology platform and partners are concerned? Uh, for me, like it's always been like, firstly, are you very simply able to articulate the problem that you have as a business? And if you're able to articulate that across departments. So MarTech is always, uh, in my experience, a problem of overpaying and underusing. A lot of businesses overpay for a lot of tools that are being used by multiple departments, but have mm-hmm. overlap of information. Um, simple examples, right? Like if you look at customer engagement platforms like yourself, who are evolving into be a well-stacked CDP, right. and you have the traditional CDPs of the world. Like I've seen businesses who have customer engagement platforms, but they don't know they're using 20% of it, as you say. They want to go out and get a CDP, which is even more expensive, right? Mm. And you ask them why? Because we're going to get a single view of customer. What does that mean? You only have e-com. Like, you know, what do you need? You don't have physical stores. You don't have like a kiosk. You don't have a digital. What single view of customers? And even after that, like, is that not available within the current scheme of things that you have, right? So those are the granularities which people don't go to while choosing a MarTech stack. They only mm-hmm. look at like a fancy terminology or they look at the problem statement that somebody else pitched them. Right. And um, I feel like if you get all the head of departments in a room and ask them like, what are you trying to solve for? What visibility you don't have? Articulate that in two sentences, get five people to do the same thing and then to see where the overlap comes in, mm-hmm. reduce the redundancies between them and then start creating a MarTech stack. Mm-hmm. Then I feel it's the most beneficial because a lot of data is sitting, right? If you have a data sure. team, you can actually pull the data and give the visualization to different teams in the way that they want. Mm. And the only thing is the vision is not there or just going to that level of granularity in your day-to-day and being honest about your problems, that's not there. 
which is also a certain level of legacy mindset problems, right? Because people come with a certain degree of uh, familiarity with the status quo. Things that are working are working. You don't want to break them up. And then it's somebody's initiative, which we may or may not always be willing to champion and support. So we see a lot of that right. happening, at least in the Indian market, where there are large organizations with multiple departments. And to just be able to drive change, it's a substantial amount of effort. Right, so which is where I'm trying to now zoom in to say that, okay, if somebody is prepared to make this commitment, how do they do it right? What are the things that are def- pitfalls that they could definitely avoid that don't do these three things because you will end up writing off that time and the effort you've spent, right? So in your impression, if you've seen those three things that keep happening in the, G- in the, in the GCC region, and you might just say that, okay, this is what I've seen more in Dubai, this is what I've seen more in uh, Saudi, what were those three things, three common mistakes that are being made? Uh, for, I think from the from that perspective, in GC, in Saudi specifically, what we have seen is uh, there is a big lack of uh, internal resource talent. What that leads to is they are looking at different tools only from the checkbox perspective. And they think the tool which gives me all of the checkboxes is the one which I'm going to go for. Mm. They don't understand my main problem statement is these four checkboxes. Sure. Right. For example, offline data integration because Saudi is a retail-heavy region. That's the number one core of the business sure. because your first-party data is sitting there. Mm-hmm. Which tools is going to solve this problem for me and what do I need from my side, right? They don't think from that perspective. That's a number one problem statement. Uh, number two problem statement is uh, they, like from an ROI calculation perspective, because end of the day, investment in MarTech is now being compared against the ROI that the platform will give you, right? Sure. They, they don't really do this fairly well, where retention, purchase frequency, moving customers from offline to online, all of this, is it, it, it is not easy, right? Like, it's honestly not easy sure. calculating that ROI. Uh, and the final thing I would say is, like, um, uh, they, they don't think long-term. They think of like, uh, you want to build an app and I want to send push notifications. So what platform will help me do that? Mm. Right? Or I want to personalize my communication across a few journeys. What platform will do that? MarTech, uh, especially like, you know, the implementation effort, the maintenance efforts on, on such tools is uh, very extensive. Mm-hmm. So you have to have like two to three year window in mind of what you want to achieve out of this rather than like a six month window, right? So there is not really, I'm not really seeing like customers coming up with the roadmap of what they want to achieve out of tool or Mm -hmm. usage of a tool over the next two, three years, right? It's a very short term mindset that they have. Hmm. And you know, what does that uh, mean for you as a expert on the subject in the region and who is available as an agency partner who could potentially even put skin in the game to say that so i'm going to charge you if a certain level of success metric is met because the roi question mark remains and if you are able to promise a certain level of impact because you have a certain level of experience in that business does that help matters how do you win confidence what is your pitch to customers when you try to sell to them how do you price that okay this is what i'm going to charge and this is the kind of business i can deliver for you uh, great question. I think for us, like uh, how we are positioning ourselves is we, we are trying to be uh, a partner who can actually do the entire array of services. So if you want somebody as a client who's starting out, he needs help in just the basic CRM setup, then want to scale that. So we are a partner who can do that. In that in that relationship, the commercial is usually tied to the resource because there is no benchmark. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like a mature business who's, let's say, 
having a similar level of CRM contribution for the last two, three years. And now their challenge is to increase that CRM contribution. They want to cut down their media spends. Mm -hmm. In that sense, it becomes an ROI conversation where what are you guys bringing to the table, right? So we we have to establish firstly the measurement. uh, How do we measure CRM? As uh, some people look within the tool in a certain attribution window. Some people people want UTMs Mm. for the data to come into GA and deduplication of all of the CRM data and then measure the contribution through that. Yeah. So measurement is one of the main um, areas you want to align on with the client. Second is the kind of uh, investments they are willing to do on certain channels within CRM. For example, client, I've seen a lot of businesses who are mature but are only using push and email as a channel. So mm-hmm. you go to them like, you know, what about your WhatsApp strategy? How often do you do SMS? How much are you spending there? Can we move that budget into WhatsApp? Right. Like first question. Then uh, second question would be like, what's your in-app strategy? Do you have a recommendation engine? How much are you paying for that? So, Can the recommendation engine be linked to CRM? Right. So a simple use case, for example, would be you would have, you will go to a product page. You will see businesses in the e-com space suggesting recommended products, style it with recently viewed, etc. on the PDP pages. But usually that product engine or recommendation engine is sitting with the product person in the company yep. who's managing that, right? Sure. What I did in my previous role is I took that and I started creating PLP pages within the app, mm-hmm. which were powered through this recommendation engines. Okay. A simple example could be a bestseller page. Simple right. example could be a recently viewed page. Sure. Similar products, cross-sell. You can just go on, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you link this to your CRM conversation. So when the customer is coming back, the first banner that they see in the app is pick up where they left from. Yeah, so it takes them left. to the page mm. left from. Yeah. Second could be if it's a cross-sell campaign going on, you can your cross-sell communication links to the cross-sell page, which is now customized for every single corner, mm. every single customer, mm. right? Mm. So when these silos are kind of cut down, you know from at least I know from my perspective, there's a big uplift that can come in sure. because the relevancy of everything improves like as soon as you implement this, right? So right. coming back to your question, so in such situations, what we do is uh, we take a bucket or a range where we say like if your CRM contribution is sitting at 15% flat for the last two years and you're willing to open up WhatsApp as a channel, there are no you know like integration or major issues around that. Then we would, if we go from 15 to 20, we'll charge you X. Mm-hmm. If we go from 20 to 25, we're going to charge you X plus Y and so on, sure. right? So yeah. commercials are usually tied to that, yeah. Very interesting. Is the typical question on ROAS and ROI kind of uh, addressed? Because people will attach, let's say I would spend this much money on Google and I would get this much transactions out of it. I'm paying this much for the tool. I'm paying you guys this much. All of this is adding up. So I need to at least get this much uh, dollar value or order value out of this. Is that a frequent ask? And if yes, what's the right benchmark? Um, I think that that's where my client side experience really helps because I know these are the questions which are going to come to me, right? If I right. was the guy, I would ask the probably the same questions. Mm-hmm. So when we create our commercials, we usually show them the tooling expense, the agency expense, the revenue. We show them mm-hmm. all they would anyways ask for so yeah. that they know like you've thought through, right? And sure. in that, that's, that actually really helps in a lot of commercial conversations for us because we start thinking like a client, what would the client yeah. want? whether it's a performance pitch, whether it's a CRM pitch, mm. right? So the benchmark of that is usually like uh, on performance, usually agencies, like even ourselves, we charge like a percentage of media 
or like a fixed retainer whichever is yeah. high mm-hmm. on the crm space it, it it just comes down to honestly uh, a fixed fee plus a percentage or sometimes it comes down to a fixed number which in each range can go up by 30 40% right so for example you can charge 15000 dirham as a benchmark price per month plus extra 5k if you deliver within certain range extra 10k if you deliver within certain range and so on so there is a better scene in the game with a degree of uh, basic resource costing in place so I was just curious that when you Correct. put this uh, 15000 dirham plus this uh, you know whatever that number is how does the client see uh, the roi on this does he say 5x does he say 10x does it say 20x does it say 50x what is he expecting and what is the right number to choose if i am a client and if i am going to import an agency how should i benchmark it? okay what is reasonable to expect out of this engagement uh that's an interesting one so usually in my experience uh, mm-hmm. when you are allocating budgets not more than 5 to 10% of your overall marketing expense should be tooling and agencies sure um that's that's a general benchmark that i've seen in my previous roles so sure almost 50 60% is performance then there is if you include influencers within performance which is again becoming a norm it goes up to 60 to 65% 60% sure. 20 25% should be like crm which includes cost of emails Mm-hmm. Uh, cost of whatsapp sms etc then there is a tooling fee which sure. is across martech right across performance across crm and so on mm-hmm. so usually like it is between 10 to 15% for bigger organizations that can go up to 20 25% when the volume of meus etc go up sure now if you take that 20% of the budget and of that the customer engagement platform is let's say 30% or 40% of that right. you take that costing and then you show the revenue against that So in my experience, mm. it's usually between uh, one sec doing some mental maths here. So mm, I think it's it's has to be somewhere between two x of your business ROI. So if you're doing operating at a fifteen or a ten percent cost of sale, which means you're doing a ten ROAS, so your mm. the ROAS from your CRM channel should be somewhere close to fifteen to twenty for it to make sense. which is a fair then expectation that okay this is going to move your weighted average up and this is what you should be prepared to invest uh, when you look at roi as a math wala lens the fact that uh, this whole tooling cost is about 5% of your overall marketing budget choosing a tool for a lower cost is a bad idea you might just want to hold the product and the agency accountable for the roi and the impact because instead of 20% if it's going to do uh, in, instead of 20x if it's going to do 12x then you're probably uh, and if you're paying 75% of the cost then you're substantially worse off right so i'm just curious to understand if you see this pattern of choosing tools for price uh, i found a cheaper alternative so i want to go for that as a pattern which is potentially a mistake um i think it just comes down to the scale of business right some businesses they they're not very like if you're a startup and suddenly you look for a tool which is asking you based on mau a certain range which is substantial for you to pay for a tool in that case they expect like you know C- crm uh, it takes time to build first party data takes time to build the purchase frequency takes time to kick in right mm-hmm. so in that sense like usually that's a very common um, thing that we hear from the startup founders where they're like i'm i'm not sure if i should be investing this 20 30000 dollars in this tool for the next year i'm not sure if i have the tooling if i have the resources mm-hmm. 
or the conviction that will generate me so much over the next year right so sure. for bigger businesses i did mention that the cost of the tooling can go up to 20 25% right in that sense um, then it kind of the math adds up when you look mm-hmm. at 25% delivering a 2x roas at the business Mm. So where you know like performance is more of an acquisition channel it's always going to be expensive because i'm looking at upper funnel fueling the yeah, yeah. retention consistently right so the mm. metrics change you look at roi from retention and you look cac from a performance perspective fair enough so in some sense uh, it's a functional business stage and that would also mean that if you have a simpler version of the product available for half the cost then you're okay there because you don't have the resources or the strategy plan to use the entire functionality anyway so if if let's say webengage has 100 uh, line items in offering you might just want to start with 20 and pay less and get rolling with it amplify the impact see the roi and then expand your subscription as well in some sense exactly right i think that's where one uh, that's one area where actually i enjoy working with webengage a lot because mm-hmm. the team here and the general like the management of lesh has been really kind in Uh, giving us face time and being on calls on a bi-weekly custom of bi bi-weekly calls and uh, we usually had flexibility of working closely with the team and telling uh, introducing startups where we know you guys will cater and because you see the long term vision of like what that company's vision is where are they back where are they heading on to right so being a bit flexible on both ends sure. is where like we i feel like it's a you know a value add for me to bring uh, web engage into the conversations whenever a retention conversation comes up sure fair so you know coming back to, uh, to life as a agency and your favorite stories from what you've seen happen in the customer ecosystem what's your favorite story so far uh well i told you one right where i spoke to the guy who like i said your website i, I was hoping it will be like a website pitch because the website looked horrible sure. but then he spoke about omni channel and had like 800 stores Mm-hmm. so it took me some time to understand like these guys are a serious business doing 4 500 million dirhams offline but they, they don't know like what an engagement platform is sure so it's just happened multiple times same kind of scenarios so what is the kind of let's say uh use cases slash stories you're able to take live with people like this what kind of business impact are you able to show in let's say a 3 to 6 months time window which creates an aha moment for these guys to say oh guys i didn't know this was possible uh w- one example of a similar uh, not a similar but like a classic example would be uh where we started working with the client uh, called nice in saudi nice furnitures they they had onboarded the tool for close to one and a half two years they're working with webengage so it's even more relevant uh when we took over they they were contributing about 2.5 3% crm contribution sure right and um for whatever reason they were not able to use the tool pretty standard set of push notifications and emails were going out mm-hmm. and when we took over the, just by implementing the basics including more channels making sure all the hygiene automation across the funnel is in place mm. making sure more channels are part of each flow that's going out and so on and setting up some automated flows the contribution went up in 3 months from 3% to like about 10 11% wow and then as of last month we are sitting at almost 25% business contribution wow. because we started scaling it up more right so this is a very classic example funny you asked uh, but this is just becoming more and more of a norm in especially in the saudi clients 
which is very interesting to see that you know if you're, uh, if you're making 25% of somebody's revenue puts you in a very important position in their life in their uh, circle of influence and circle of respect right because then you're suddenly an important stakeholder of the conversation that guys i need to achieve these kpis in the next three quarters these are the components that i would expect from you so they will become more demanding you'll have a greater let's say influence on their business outcomes you might also be in a position to get them to you know throw that piece of furniture away which is you know giving terrible nps because then you know the kind of mathematical impact this can create on that world right so you know uh, going back further on uh, when these kind of results have to apply and you're scaling up your organization you said the talent supply is still a question mark with respect to serving these uh, markets locally how are you building about your talent strategy on uh, making sure that the 3% can go to 25% for a lot of more clients um for me like the good thing is i'm i'm my talent comes from the client side which which is not rare clients sure. do have enough crm experience mm-hmm. so uh, in in that way we are i'm able to look at mature businesses in the region and the vision that we have and the clients the client base that we have and the team that we have built up it helps us attract a lot more people so one more person is joining us who's again coming from a client side role sure. so all of these things add up and for me like expansion is just finding the right people with the right attitude especially on the crm side like when you are able to put up two three people who come from clients mm-hmm. and are delivering results and have a case study or have a story to tell then these people are like my pillars who can attract more people right mm-hmm. from the crm front so i'm trying to build that first strong fundamental infrastructure and layer of people who then become like a magnet right then i'm able to like go into interviews and inspire them tell them what are we trying to build and here is this person who's come and joined me from noon and here is this person who's come joined me from landmark right so they're able to then correlate fair enough so initial set of talent then becomes a magnet for the next bunch of talent and then the practice just keeps getting stronger which would in some sense mean the clients are also slightly more comfortable leaving those kpis to you because your people know how this has to play out they have enough first hand experience outside of your company plus whatever case studies now i'm building should inspire confidence as well So in terms of the scale exactly right and mm-hmm. yeah yeah go on no i was just double clicking on that this is exactly the thing that got me excited to move to sell through because right. uh, if somebody like me came and pitched me in the past and said like uh, let me solve for your customer problem mm-hmm. let me not solve for like you know your affiliate your performance let me solve for your customer problem right so that will get me excited because then i know like i can trust the guy and i can have a conversation which is a little bit more broad i can speak to the guy regarding my my need to acquire x amount of customers this year so there is your performance team's target but parallelly these many of those people need to come back and purchase in a certain frequency so is your retention team target so in total this is the budget budget you get in total this is the outcome that i want and i can have that conversation with the guy at that level usually which happens in house it doesn't happen with external agencies right mm. and this is exactly the kind of conversations we are having with the clients and we're getting a lot of positive feedback where clients are saying we are enjoying our conversations we go in presenting crm but we ended up we end up discussing like you know holistically your retention your nps your this and right. that right so that's exciting for us very interesting time and journey so well we wish you all the best with your expansion in saudi and whichever geographies you are aiming for we hope to remain meaningful partners in the journey as well i think i'm covered for my part any closing remarks from your side ankit no thank you for having me i think uh, 
doing this uh, as an entrepreneur and trying to build something new is always a bit scary. So having a platform to speak about this, to put the word out there, I think, yeah, it's a, like a great initiative. So I'm glad I was able to be part of this. I hope you found the conversation interesting. This is going to be on my special list for every time I travel to ME and want to make sure that I remember the story of the market. We're trying to improve our podcast. In future, please share all of your suggestions and inputs on sormpodcast at the rate Thank you so much. 